This week on Media Delta, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Can't really think of a fun intro? Buckle up, folks. We're in for a depressing movie. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Media Delta. Um, we got an interesting one, uh, because I'm not going to lie, uh, I kind of twisted some rules in order to kind of even justify this. Um, because I felt like this movie, it's not explicitly tied to a video game, but there are a number of factors that I feel um, warrant uh, us discussing this film here. Um, first off is that it is the direct link to this that I at least have is that um, a while ago, we I think like really early on, uh, we took a look at a game called International Karate uh, for the Commodore 64. Uh, Rob, Rob Hubbard, the composer of that, uh, kind of wholesale lifted the theme for this movie uh, to use in that game, uh, which is the direct tie, or probably the closest direct tie. Uh, another tie is the fact that uh, we took a look at Takeshi's challenge, and uh, Beat Takeshi is not someone who is be rather familiar, unless you're like really into Japanese cinema over here. Uh, so this is a movie that stars, he's just referred to as Takeshi here, but it is Beat Takeshi. Uh, another person that is actually involved in this movie uh, that I do feel is actually close enough of a tie uh, to this uh, is Ryuichi Sakamoto, who was all, one, uh, the composer of the music for this movie, uh, but also played a very vital character. He was the character or he was the actor who played uh, Captain Yunoi, who is a very pivotal character in this movie. Um, also. Um, so this is coming like we're recording this in June and also it's coming out in June, uh, which is Pride Month. Um, and if you're looking for movies that are somehow related to video games that we've done uh, that have any sort of connection to that, uh, pickings are incredibly slim. Um, so, yeah, even though this doesn't exactly end the happiest for that kind of thing. It is still a movie that does have very heavy LBT or very heavy pride themes. So in terms of like uh, tackling one's thoughts. So I felt like that was somewhat appropriate, I guess. I know it. it's weird, but I didn't exactly have a whole lot to work with. And I wanted to do something. Um, but yes, also, it's just another it's um, also kind of our introduction to Japanese cinema, which is something that I feel that it, it, it's something interesting that we wouldn't normally get to talk about a lot. Um, so I felt like it, in terms of, a, I guess, cultural look at, I felt that that was something worth taking a look at. Um, but yes, uh, enough babbling on about that. Uh, I was not the only one who watched this. Um, so, uh, please introduce yourself in alphabetic order. Hi, I'm X, and I'm here for all David Bowie. Hello, I'm Real Soviet Bear. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Hi, I'm Torpid Typhus, and I'm here to fight the gay thoughts. Yes. Uh, so, this movie, uh, despite the title, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, uh, this is a movie that technically takes place on Christmas during a certain part of it. Uh, but it is very much a movie that takes place in the Japanese POW camp. Uh, and it is not, um, let's just say it doesn't sugarcoat various things. 
Uh, right off the bat, I will say uh, this movie is probably one of the heaviest things that we'd ever take a look at on this show. Um, like the first thing you come off, like the very, like not the very first scene, but like one of the very first scenes is a scene of like uh, two. I, I don't know if prisoners are the right word, but basically two people being like attacked by guards um, because of an incident uh, involving a, um, they don't exactly go explode. Well, it's basically uh, two uh, prisoners engaged in some sort of activity. Uh, and uh, no, they are going, they're pretty blatant about it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, uh, basically, it was it wasn't two prisoners. It was a prisoner and a guard at the camp. Yep. Uh, the prisoner was Dutch, uh, and basically, the Dutch prisoner and the guard were fucking. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and they got caught about it. Damn it. Yes. And so they got caught uh, and were essentially beat to shit, uh, and the guard was told to commit suicide. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, but like that, like suicide was a bit uh, like the entire like uh, incident was really haphazard because uh, they drag in another character, Lawrence, there, and the person who's ordering the execution or the ritual suicide doesn't really have the authority to do it, so he tries to do it before the captain appears. So it's kind of just like all over the place. Yeah. Um... Yeah, just just to give you a taste of what this movie's kind of about, that is like one of the very first things you see, like in the first like five or ten minutes of this movie. Um, so if this is if you're going into this thinking that it's something that is light, it is most definitely not. Um, so be warned about that. Um, but uh, 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 it, it is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. A double Christmas movie. Yep. Yes. You get two Christmases for the price of one. Yep. Indeed. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think to kind of go into before we just spend the time just going over the plot, I think we should probably get into the questions and actually kind of get more on track. So um, first question, uh, Ax, uh, what were your general impressions? Is there any particular element you'd like to bring up? Um, so going to be honest, uh, this this had the same problem that Hunt for Red October did. It was way too long. And it and it drags on. Um, there there are a few scenes uh, that you know caught my interest, and I I you know paid attention throughout most of the film. But then there were scenes like him having flashbacks to when he was a kid and with his brother, and I like I legit skipped over them because I just I didn't care about that. I cared about the the main story. Um, it was it was a, it was a little frustrating to watch because there was a lot of moments that felt like just padding. I didn't need to see Bowie go on trial. Just bring him to the POW camp and have us see that, that that's kind of the whole, the whole story really. Um, The the idea of the trial was that was supposed to be where him and the captain met. Mm. It's fair. It's just even, even still just watching it, it felt, it felt like it didn't need to be there. Yeah, I, I guess it was just like sort of this this establishing moment of the relationship yep. that would go on between these two. Um, also, one thing that I should do as kind of an asterisk to that, um, because I do feel like uh, that's definitely a valid complaint. Um, but one thing that uh, might be a reason why they did that, uh, this movie is actually based on two books. 
uh, right. that were written by Lawrence Va- it's a Dutch name. Actually, no, it's South African. Uh, it's Lawrence Vanderpost, I think. That'd be close to hundred. Probably not, but it, it's uh, his books, which uh, he was an actual POW uh, during World War II. Uh, and the, his books, uh, The Seed and the Sower and The Night of the New Moon, are basically his kind of books that he wrote that basically kind of recounted his kind of experiences in that POW camp. Uh, so I feel like that's something that it's like, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah, okay. it's it's something to take into account. Uh, I also uh, want to freely admit that the version I watched didn't have subtitles, so I was lost in yeah. a lot of scenes. So I'm trying, I'm taking those those things into account with my criticisms, but um, there are still definitely scenes that weren't needed. I felt. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, the the flashback was definitely like way too drawn out. Even though yeah. I understand the point of it, but both both of them were. Both of them were way yeah. too drawn out. That second flashback, I kind of understood because he's, you know, he's dying and he's this, this is him kind of like reliving certain things. So it had better context there. But the first one was, the first one was him retelling to um, Lawrence about one of what is how he the, stabbed his brother in the back. Yeah, basically. So, but even and still, it's, never reconciled because of it. Yeah. Because the thing, like, because the way that I see, like, because just to kind of go over the layout of that scene, basically, uh, that entire flashback is uh, a view of Jack and his brother at church singing, uh, basically, then him getting beat up uh, by a group of bullies who... Because he has a hunchback and also a very... He has the voice of an angel, to put it nicely. Yes. Um, And then... Basically, then there's a scene in the bedroom, and then it's a scene of him in the school, and then it's basically the thing that is him getting stabbed in the back. Uh, I feel like rather than going to A to B to C to D E, you could have just done D and E. Yeah, okay. we we didn't need all that build up. I I think what might factor into that is that a lot of um movies like in like like between like uh, the fifties and like eighties uh, that were based on novels and books didn't really skimp on runtime uh like 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 i don't know like it's gone with the wind i think it's like also like really long like um uh, russian movies based on like like russian novels are also really long so that probably could have influenced that because it's not really like today where you adapt something like um lord of the rings and then you have to take into account well we're gonna market this to the cinema nobody wants to stay in the cinema this long and then we're gonna do the extended version for home release um, so I think like that has to do as well uh, with the length and uh, lack of editing. Yeah, that that could also be. I, I am actually taking a look at the um, because Wikipedia is nice about it. And actually, the director of this movie is uh, Nagisa. Uh, let's see, I believe it's Nagisa Oshima. Um, he basically he um, he had a very long career uh, in film. Uh, started out in the late fifties going all the way up to 99. Uh, and I'm looking, they actually list his run times and it's actually kind of interesting is that uh, this is his second longest movie. A lot of his other movies are like an hour and a half. Like they're on the 100 minute range, whereas this is 123 minutes. I think it's also because like there's, not, there's nothing really that happens in this movie, like plot wise. Like you can kind of like, you can, you can just do a bullet point of the plot list, uh, like they're like pretty short. 
uh, a lot of it is really just giving context to characters and um, character development interactions more than anything. And it's not like um, it's 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 weird because it it's kind of parallel to Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October. There's just a little more to the movie than just the conversations. The conversations drove the movie for sure, but there is a lot more happening. There's a lot of different characters, different situations, conversations, whereas um, Mr. Lawrence really focuses on very four specific characters and and the, their scenes are very long. It's not a lot of cutting to different scenes. It's uh, very long scenes. So it, it, it does get a little exhausting. Uh, as far as a particular element uh, I'd like to bring up, um, honestly, I, I had one and I kind of lost it in the shuffle of starting the, the episode. But uh, just the, the underlying themes of the film, I guess, would be a particular element. It, it does have a lot of subtext to it. Um, and it is a smart film, um, just ran a bit long. Yeah, it is a little bit long in the tooth. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what I've got. Okay, uh, bear. Um, yeah, I, I in general like the movie. Uh, I I do think I agree with X. Um, that it is a bit on the long side, but it's not really the runtime uh, that bothered me. I think uh, the part that bothered me is like it requires a lot of focus. Because uh, this is the second time I watched the movie, and it feel like I was watching it all over again. Uh, simply because of how uh, slow and like like the pacing is a bit of a slog, but I don't mean like like a slog in the negative sense. I kind of see why they made it a slog because it's like this daily life in a war camp, and in general the atmosphere is meant to be oppressive, um, like a bit more oppressive. So I kind of get why it feels the way it does. Um, the part that I like though is. Uh, I I really like the uh, criticism of uh, uh, World War II Japan, but in a way that it tries to contextualize it. Um, uh, so, so for example, um, there were like, like there was one scene where um, uh, when they when they got upset, and they ordered everybody like no food for forty eight hours, and. Uh, the uh, British officer that was kind of like in, in charge of the the, the POWs, uh, Hexley, he's kind of like, like well, why the hell do we have to not eat anything for two days? And Lawrence was like, well, it's because they're not going to be eating anything for two days as well, referring to the Japanese, so they expect the same thing from us. So it has like these kind of like moments where Lawrence tries to not justify, but explain like, this is how they're thinking, um, and it's kind of like, well, the POWs, for one, they don't care because they're POWs, because, like, like why would they have any sympathy or empathy towards their captors? Uh, and the Japanese don't care uh, what the POWs think, because, uh, you know, for them, it's a matter of fact. Like, when um, uh, Hara talks about, like, uh, suicide and how, you know, Lawrence is probably too much of a coward to take his own life, whereas Lawrence says, like, well, you know, in the West, for us, that that is the coward's way out to take your own life. And Lawrence kind of tries to always be this intermediary where he's trying, uh, where he kind of, like, understands where the Japanese are coming from, where their beliefs come from, and, like, like how the, their culture shaped it. Uh, but he doesn't use it to justify it. 
to Hixley or anybody else. He uses it more to just say like like this is how they work, this is how they think and how they function. Um, more so as like a warning to not like step on anybody's toes, but also just like I think he gets frustrated that there's this cultural barrier and there even is, is a war going on. Um. Yeah, there's a there's a scene where you can see that even Lawrence uh, has his limit to getting frustrated with uh, their uh, Japanese kind of methodology. Uh, there is a scene in which basically, uh, I believe it's Lawrence and Selliers are going to be executed for smuggling in a radio into the camp, uh, and basically he or Lawrence has a, this conversation with Hara, um, basically saying why like they don't have any proof that he did it why are they um why are they executing him uh the thing in basically oh, Hara was basically saying Hara that was with you know you know I sorry you know it was yeah. the other one yeah Hara that. was there like not even paying attention it's actually a pretty uh, like neat scene um but basically Lawrence flips out at Yanoi while he's having this funeral for a guard that actually committed suicide the night before. Uh, also, after uh, Lawrence can barely sit at all because he just got beat to shit by the guards. Yeah, yeah. like the the main point of that was that Yunoi uh, basically said, "I would rather uh, execute someone to maintain order rather than execute the right person that committed the crime." So he was basically like, "Yeah, I can't if, if we don't know who actually did it." I'm gonna execute you, execute you because you're the prime suspect because that sends a message, and like to you know that makes complete sense, but to Lawrence, like that's kind of like interesting to see that limit where to Lawrence he understands that that makes sense to you know, but to him it's just like ridiculous. Yeah. So so I I think that was probably my, one of my mo- most interesting things. This is why I also asked when we were doing this movie, like, hey, was was this actually like a Japanese uh, director or Japanese production? And like, yeah, this is mostly like a Japanese production. Yep. So that's why I thought it was uh, so interesting how it was framed. Like, it's not like it's not both sides. It's not something like that. It's more like no, this kind of line of thinking was toxic and bullshit. But here's why it existed. Here's why that line of thinking was there and what the reasoning behind it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it is definitely directed by a Japanese person, produced by Jeremy Thomas. So you got someone, I believe he is British. Yes, he is. It is basically, it's Japanese-British. Seems to be the split. Um, uh, screenplay was written both by the director and... Um, Paul Mayersberg, who is also British. So, yeah, it is a pretty it seems and it seems like some of the technical stuff is more on the Japanese side, but it does it is Japanese British film. It's not solely one or the other. Yeah, but you don't really like see um like like you don't really see the POWs in like any well like you don't see them like in a good light or like a terrible light. Like they're there they're prisoners of war and they have some like uh like like bigoted opinions and whatnot but it's not like oh these are the good guys these are the bad guys it's just kind of like it's a shitty situation um and you don't feel like it's trying to like like a pick an angle or pick a side that's kind of like like why like it basically goes like yeah the japanese in world war were kind of crap but here's like a lot of context around that 
yeah that yeah. that is definitely one thing that i really appreciate about this movie it's it's interesting too because it doesn't even like seem to really overly judge who is essentially the antagonist yeah yeah because it's it's, it's just like character dynamics and i think that also kind of contributes towards how long the movie feels because you don't really have an antagonistic force because it's not like you know here's the villain here's the hero it's literally just character dynamics stretched out over two hours yeah it's it's like even by antagonist i mean you know because he's the closest thing this movie has to one and he is also largely responsible for the madness going on in the camp because he can't reconcile his own emotions he just doesn't know what to do and ends up kind of losing it because of that yeah up until the very end when he realizes what he did and it's too late yep um so is are you good for that bear yeah that's all from my end all right turbo i really really like this movie i think it's a really fucking good movie and really interesting and i actually really like all the character interaction and yeah it's definitely a bit to take in and there are certain scenes that definitely run too much like the the childhood thing could have been kept to a simple conversation and the point would have gotten across if i'm gonna be honest uh but overall i think it's really enjoyable and i barely noticed the length honestly because i'm so wrapped up in what's going on what everyone's talking about and all that uh that said something i like to point out is uh it's been lightly touched on but the, the relationship between Hara and Lawrence is probably one of the most interesting things to me. Because uh, Hara and Lawrence aren't directly related to the madness going on in the camp. Uh, it's more like they're sort of almost a third-party observer. Because uh, specifically, it's it's mostly related to uh, Bowie's character and Yanoi. Uh, and so these two are just watching what's going on and, and trying their best to handle it in what ways they can uh and it's interesting too because once again it's very important to note that lawrence is a pow he is there as a prisoner of war but him and particularly hara tend to get along and have all these discussions of of culture like this cultural exchange uh, of ideas in in what people assume to be true and what have you uh, while this is going on, because essentially Lawrence is is elevated above the other POWs because he can speak Japanese, and this allows him to listen to them, understand, and also mediate. And it's part of what's really interesting. And so Hara and him uh, tend to go back and forth about like their culture's views on certain things, like suicide or homosexuality, uh, like how Lawrence gets really, really uncomfortable when discussing it. In Whereas like Kara is is a bit more open about discussing it, and how saying like how the, the samurai were were much more all right with it, whereas Lawrence is saying like homosexuality is a bad thing and all that, uh, and it's yes, yeah, it's, hmm? yeah I, I did like uh, like Lawrence, uh, like like you can kind of see him ping pong between Hara and Hicksley in the sense of like he's you said he's elevated and he can kind of he that's how he gets close to Hara. Uh, but whenever when he gets too close, when he crosses the line in terms of like oversteps his boundaries, so to say, they give him pushback. They they basically remind him, "Hey, you're still a prisoner here." And on the other end of it, um, you see him. He's basically like there protecting the interests of like the POWs, but also like by Hicksley, you kind of see that 
they're kind of mistrusting of him because they're kind of like like oh you you're too sympathetic towards these Japanese like like I don't know what you're on about. Especially for someone like Hicksley who's big on like grand empty gestures and asking the world of, of these Japanese while not trying to understand them. I, I mean, he is the only one who's still wearing his officer hat in the entire like camp. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I really, really enjoy the dynamic between, uh, the two of them to the point where, uh, at one point Hara essentially gets really plastered, uh, and sentences someone, uh, specifically, I think it was a Chinese POW, uh, to take the fall for that radio transmitter so Lawrence can live and even starts yelling that he's Santa and has the first Merry Christmas Lawrence of the movie. Yep. Uh, and then, once again, at the very end, uh, the part that kills me uh, is it's uttered a second time uh, after Lawrence and Hara have a discussion, because Hara's been taken in uh, and is going to be executed uh, for war crimes, essentially. Uh and they have this discussion, and you, you hear Lawrence genuinely losing it because he feels that Hara shouldn't hang for this. He, he was just essentially raised this way and to think this way, and he was a soldier doing what he was told. Well, it, it, it's, it's kind of the thing where Lawrence knows that, like, like Lawrence, Hara actually says, like, you're gonna execute me, or I'm gonna die tomorrow, and I don't know why. Yeah. Basically, he was just like, you know, he was just doing the things you do in war. And Lawrence gets like annoyed at that because, like, yeah, you you didn't know better. It makes no sense that you're gonna hang simply because the other side said so. But and he he knows that Hara just like, yeah, this is behind. Like Hara, Hara like cannot put himself like, distance himself from the entire situation, kind of observe it and see, like, oh, I did, did a ton of shit, because he, he just cannot perceive it that way. Yeah. This is all genuinely built foreign to him. And it's it's a really, really good scene. It's, it's, actually, it's actually interesting to view, like, if, if you view some of the, like, there are, like, a few documentaries about uh, post-World War II Japan and how, like, um, like, various officials and generals were put on trial, and it's kind of, like, interesting to see when they are put on trial by, like, um, the Allies, how a lot of them just, like, you know, have to be told exactly what to say because they don't understand what they did wrong in the war. So that's kind of, like, like actually, like, does mirror, like, a mentality that did exist post-World War II. Yeah, and it just really shows how in deep Lawrence got learning these things and just his relationship with Hara in general. Well, the other thing with Hara, too, is if you watch, pay, pay close attention to him throughout the movie, you could tell there's, there's, there's a reluctance in him to, to some of the stuff that he's doing, but it's not, not necessarily because he knows it's, it's wrong. It's just he... he, uh, what's the, he there's that one scene where he, he admits that he let the both of them go, and the way he, 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 he carries himself in that scene, it's, it's this very timid... You know, like he's just following orders. He's just there. He's just there doing what he's being told to do. And the one good thing that he does, the right thing that he does, he sees as wrong because it's it's contradictory to what he's been taught and told. And there's little bits like that throughout the film that sort of lead up to that final scene where he asks, you know, what did I do different? Why am I being 
you know, punished. Get punished for being a soldier, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't, like, at the start of the movie, I might be misremembering, but wasn't, like, his entire logic of it, uh, forcing the guy at the start to commit seppuku, like, the Japanese soldier, so that he could basically fake that he didn't commit suicide so that his uh, family would still get, uh, like, uh, that I believe, insurance or pension or I whatever. Good. I mean, I think it was something like that, and that's why he didn't want to get the captain involved, because if the cap, if you know he wasn't involved, then it would become more official, and then, you know, so ritual suicide is not doesn't cover, um, like, that pension that goes to the family. So what that was, uh, that was when the guard who basically um, interfered with Yanoi uh, freeing sellers, or sellers uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of the movie. That is when they bring that up. It's during the funeral uh, scene. Um, yeah, but I think it was, was that also at the start of room I'm misremembering because I think it was uh, also, also it was Yanoi who was talking specifically about the uh, the pension. Okay, I must remember that. And also because Lawrence was going to die, he mentioned that Lawrence would also be getting one, and he make sure of that because the papers have been sent through. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it, it's important to note that that soldier who died, uh, the guard at the camp, uh, died because uh, he attempted to kill David Bowie's character because he could tell that Yanoi was genuinely disturbed by David Bowie. Uh, but once again, no, didn't quite know why. But it was Bowie's character and the way he was essentially spitting in Yanoi's eye were largely responsible for everything that went down in the camp. Please call him Selliers. Nobody would actually... Selliers. Yeah, nobody would actually want to kill David Bowie. It's true. I mean, though I can understand falling for Bowie. Okay, Phantom yep. Limb begs to differ. But, uh... <laughs> I I got it! I get it! Thank you! Thank you. Venture Brothers is good. But, uh... It, it, it was. It aged points. badly, but yes. Yeah. Certain <laughs> seasons have aged a lot better than others, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, yeah, no. Uh, essentially, he could tell that something about Selliers was disturbing Inoy and he tried to kill him uh, and then failed after Selliers essentially knocked him out, stole his key, and fucking tried to book it. Yeah. So he, he ended up committing a ritual suicide because of it because he got caught. Yeah. Uh, and he's planning on from the start, too, which he mentions uh, for his transgressions. But hmm. Also highlighting that sort of mentality. Yeah. Uh, so, you good? Yeah. All right, yeah, I I really like this movie. Uh, I will fully admit that it is a bit of a slow burn. Um, the way that I kind of view it by moves like these, uh, it they are, I will fully admit that they are slow, but they are very. I feel that they are very fulfilling. The kind of analogy that I think of is that they're kind of akin to say something like lobster, which is in I. I admit I I put an asterisk on this metaphor because I'm not I've never actually had lobster, but it's the thing that I've heard described of it, uh, which is basically that it is very rich, uh, in that you don't want to eat it fast because you'll get sick that way. Whoever told you is a fucking liar. Okay, I'm I thinking, will eat the, I will stuff my goddamn face with lobster okay. nonstop. Ba- basically, it is something that you're not supposed to, like something very thick uh, that you're supposed to kind of savor every while. You're not supposed to kind of go through it. Cheesecake. It's a cheesecake. Yeah, cheesecake. Yeah, it's not something you just shove down your throat on t- on purpose. Um, it's something that you 
Uh, you're trying to shove cheesecake down my throat again. Yeah, Look, sometimes you get hungry. You shove down your throat on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, it's something that you're supposed to save. It's you're some you're supposed to eat a little bit of it at a time, and you're supposed to savor it. And that's not if you're hungry. That's not what you want to eat. You want to eat something that will you know, do, like just get you full. And then it's perfectly fine. Like I'm not starting saying that that one's better than the other. But I do appreciate uh, a movie that's like a slow burn like that. Uh, it's like why I like 2001: Space Odyssey, which I fully admit that is a very slow burn. Yeah, I mean you you can't you can't have too much David Bowie at once. You have to like spread them out over two hours. You have to like have them bit by bit, otherwise you get labyrinth and it's just like overload. Yes, actually, he's not really that much in labyrinth. Is the thing my my labyrinth drinking game would. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, where he is, he shows up quite a bit, but it's like. Not as prevalent yeah. as it might want you to believe. Yeah. Uh, which actually, that is part of the reason, like part of the thing that I want to bring up, because the thing that I find uh, interesting uh, is I mentioned earlier that the sound, well, like it's more that I kind of want to bring up the soundtrack as a concept, um, because you figure that, oh, you have david bowie in this movie and how popular he was in japan you'd figure that he'd have like a musical part like some involvement in it he has zero musical involvement in it in fact it's mentioned that his character cannot sing uh which i thought was fascinating um yeah it's actually ryuichi sakamoto who plays yep. captain Yanoi. funny who enough is who is the musical guy uh and in fact there is actually because i do the thing that i want to bring up is also part of the reason why we're doing this which is the main theme uh, which there is the the instrumental version of this. The song is just usually referred to as theme of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, but there is a vocal version of the theme, uh, which is uh, Forbidden Colors, uh, which uh, the vocalist on that is one David Sylvain, who is not, I don't think he's that popular in the West, but uh, I'd imagine he is somewhat popular in Japan because he used to be the front man of a band that was just called Japan. Um, uh, that 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 song in general is also interesting in terms of the uh, kind of themes of kind of repressed homosexuality uh, because the name Forbidden Colors is in fact referencing to a uh, Japanese uh, novel or Jap Japanese 1953 novel that's also called Forbidden Colors, which is basically a novel that explores very similar topics. Um, so I thought that was at least kind of interesting and it's not something you'd kind of um, that's more of a trivia thing, but it's something that I really thought was neat. Um, but yeah, the music in this game, the music in this movie is really good. Oh, it's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. And if you're not familiar with Ryu, who Ryu H. Sakamoto is, um, and how, why he is such a influence, uh, specifically into video game music, uh, Ryu H. Sakamoto was one of the founding trio of a, or one of the three founding members of a band that was, uh, it started in the late 70s and early 80s uh, called Yellow Magic Orchestra. Um, so, and they they were like probably one of the premier Japanese synth pop bands, if you can even call it that. Uh, but they are very, very good and also very influential. And yeah, uh, if we if I could could have gotten Lack of Love to work, there was also another soundtrack uh, that was done by Ryuichi Sakamoto that is also very good. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to bring that up because that is it, it, it's just really good. And I feel it is a um, 
it's it's often brought up, but it's one thing that I definitely want to highlight. Um, so yeah, uh, with that, uh, I think we've kind of uh, gone into this a little bit already, but I think if you have any other thoughts that you want to bring up, uh, we can talk about this. Uh, Torpo, how do you feel about the settings and characters? Uh, setting is very interesting. It's not exactly something that's explored a whole lot, and it's also interesting knowing that this... A, uh, the director is Japanese, so it really helps frame the commentary put forth by this movie. Uh, and B, that the it's based off a novel of a man who was in one of these camps. And so this is what it was like from their eyes and what they went through. And so it sort of almost lends it a certain degree of legitimacy, which I appreciate. But uh, the characters themselves, they're, they're essentially the four main characters, which is Lawrence. Like, like th there are some others who play large parts, but they aren't the central focus. And the four who are the central focus are uh, Lawrence, which, as we mentioned, uh, is the... the POW who can speak both English and Japanese and acts as both a mediator and a translator. Uh, there is Hara, who is a, a uh, I forget, what is he again? What is his, his rank? He is, he is a sergeant. He, yeah, Sergeant Hara, who's essentially the second in this, this camp uh, and has his own essential take on things, but is also is essentially friends with Lawrence. Him and Lawrence get pretty close over the course of the film, but even just at the beginning have this sort of established rapport between the two of them. To the point where Lawrence will even talk up to him and, like, yell at him about certain things and, and feels comfortable doing so, which is a lot. But uh, th there's those two who are uh, essentially witness to, I guess you call it the madness, that is between uh Genoi and Selliers, who are essentially the two instigators in the camp that lead to everything that goes down. And so you've got Lawrence who, where you guys oh, this is a yeah. But yeah, essentially so Lawrence himself is a uh British soldier. Pretty sure he's British. Uh yes. Yeah, uh, I think it, they've it, changed the soldiers uh, to British. In, in the book, uh he was South African. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking about specifically, though, in the movie. In the context in of the movie, all the soldiers are... Yes. Mostly. They're a mix, but largely British. Yep. Uh, and, and he he's basically trying to reconcile these, these two cultures, almost. And both try to understand, but also try to get the like, Japanese, but especially Hara, to understand his point of view. Uh, whereas Hara's basically trying to do his job and doesn't quite understand why the Brits have been acting the way they do, but also seems to want to do right by his own people, if nothing else, uh, or, or those he cares about. Like, once again, him essentially putting someone else up on the block for Lawrence's sake to actually save him to the point where he is absolutely trashed and yelling, I'm Santa, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Merry Christmas, Lawrence, excuse me. He doesn't call him Mr. until actually the end. I don't know if that's deliberate, but I, I think it's an interesting touch. Right, I think it's, it's because at the end he says it in English and and um, yeah during the during the drunk, uh, the drunk moment in the middle of the movie he says it in Japanese so that's why he doesn't say Mister Lawrence. Yeah. Also, I feel like it helps establish the dynamic and how it changes between the two of them by the yeah. end and the difference of position. Yeah. So 
I, I actually really like the two of them, uh, and I think they worked really well together. If I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, they really had a good rapport. Yeah, the 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 chemistry between the two actors seems pretty solid, and I appreciate that. Uh, and just in in general, the both of them are just trying to get their jobs done and do right by their own people in the middle of all that goes down. Because then you have uh, Selliers and Yanoi. Selliers is uh, a, a British soldier uh, who earned the nickname uh, Strafer, which is still hilarious. Uh, circle strife, circle strife. Circle strife, circle strife. It's the best way to feed an enemy in a video game. I've learned this. But uh, yeah, he's essentially, the, the idea behind him is like sort of the indomitable spirit. Like he will never, he refuses to be broken and will never back down. Uh, to these these people keeping him and his people prisoner here in this camp. Uh, so he repeatedly spits in their eyes, repeatedly goes against them, and oftentimes is an instigator because he refuses to be he put down by everything around him. Uh, to the point where he gets imprisoned repeatedly and, and also beaten to shit repeatedly. Uh, it's also a quick interesting thing about Selliers is it seems like there's a lot of camera angles that they try to draw attention to Bowie's really striking eyes. Yeah. At least, at least to me. Uh, there's a, a big change from uh, Labyrinth, where in Labyrinth they always draw attention to his crouch. Yeah. Yeah. It's it feels like there's here. a lot done to draw attention to the appearances of, of Selliers in Yanoi, almost. but And so... Bowie's character is is essentially uh, doing all this, but slowly realizing what's going on, uh, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, and so the the other is Yanoi, who is this at first very by the books uh, Japanese captain, uh, who is immediately taken by Bowie's character, but doesn't understand any of it or what's going on. Uh, and over the course of the movie, as he's as Bowie's still constantly spinning in his face, essentially, uh, has a breakdown and is slowly losing his mind, basically being more and more cruel, uh, not just to his own men, but also to the, the POWs, especially to the POWs, to the point where he has the injured also come walking out uh, in the middle of the day to stand there for a speech he was going to give. Let's say and the sick, which leads to one of them dying. Yes, and the sick, which leads to one of them dying. And it was a particularly cruel measure, but this this man just doesn't understand what he's going through or what's happening, and he just can't seem to reconcile any of it in his mind. Uh, until eventually, Bowie realize sort of it seems to get an understanding of what's happening and goes uh, right up to him, hugs him, and goes cheek to cheek with him, uh, which eventually. In like instigates the final meltdown of Yanoi where he loses his fucking mind uh, and has Bowie buried under sand, except for his head, which is stuck out in the sun. Well, it wasn't Yanoi who had him buried. It was the uh, guy who takes over for Yanoi, because Yanoi gets uh, replaced. Oh, that was it. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yanoi, because that's like, like basically Yanoi loses like power and respect because of that. Yeah, the big move and just him losing it. And it isn't until after Bowie's dead that he seems to finally have an understanding what was going on, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it took him so long. And he ends up cutting off a lock of Bowie's hair, which uh, after the end, like in the ending, 
uh, Lawrence even mentions that he was going to take that hair uh, to Yanoi's village uh, and burn it at his family shrine. Yeah, that that was a interesting thing. Like right at the very end, they just walks up to Bowie and uh, just cuts off a lock of his hair. While yeah, just... he is very clearly just out of it. Like, like it, I, it, I know it's supposed to be kind of horrifying that he's just gradually dying, out, but it is also just a smidge humorous of the, him the, the just getting... The makeup is ridiculous. Yeah. It actually, the entire time, I couldn't stop thinking about the couple scenes from Caligula. But the yeah, people so, yeah. buried up to their necks. So, so at least I found that interesting, is that like his, his final wish... Because he was also put to the block for obvious reasons. War crimes. Uh, yeah, reasons. war crimes. Uh, was was to have that, that hair burnt in his family shrine. And I, if nothing else, at the very end, it seemed like he made peace with himself. Only took a bunch of dead the... people. Yeah, it only took a bunch of dead people. They literally buried their... Up to the neck. Up to the neck. Could be by like, Repeatedly, I feel it worth mentioning, he also takes his frustration out on Bowie by beating him. Oh yeah, and fighting. Maybe, he, beats, he beats a lot of people though. He does, he does. But it's like he he genuinely doesn't seem to understand what's happening until it's far, far, far too late. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact: Bowie's character was originally uh, South African. Yep. All right. Uh, is that it? Yeah. All right, Bear. Um, I think we mostly covered like the bulk of it. I do think that. We definitely have the pairings of, um, um, in terms of character interaction, of like Lawrence and Hara and Sellers and Yanoi. I kind of thought that Lawrence and Hara was a bit more interesting because I, um, uh, it's some, it's like an interaction I'm more familiar with, uh, in terms of when you have people from different cultures who don't know much about each other's culture, and then like this one, like, person wants to show the other how you know they do it. So you kind of like see it that at the very start when um, Hara orders for Lawrence to be brought over um, to like witness the Garkening seppuku. And it's like Lawrence is like like what the fuck? What, why did you bring him here? Uh, and I, I think it's like constantly Hara because he can talk to Lawrence and because Lawrence is you know instead of being this random POW that he can just yell at, uh, it's actually someone he can talk to and learn more from. So to him, it's also and also te- teach Lawrence more about the Japanese, and I think that's like a very human interaction. Like I, I've seen like, um, like I guess being in Europe, it's more easier to see examples of that. But like whenever you have people from you know foreign countries that they don't know each much about each other's country, you you know you're gonna show like, ah, oh, this is how you know we do our food. This is how we make our drinks. Oh, this is how we do our thing or how we build our houses and like stuff like that. It's always interesting to show. So it's like a very human reaction, uh, and I kind of like that. Um, The the relationship between the two does feel very natural. Yeah. Uh, And it also kind of... It also kind of, like, like aligns with um, anecdotes I know from um, World War II. Like, my uh, late grandfather uh, befriended a Italian POW during World War II, who was a doctor. Uh, I think there was still, like, a language barrier there, but they managed to somehow communicate. Uh, it's just, like, like, like it's a very human reaction. Even though you're at war with somebody, or you're somebody's, like, 
like they're your captor, or you're like your uh, you're responsible for like keeping them in captivity. It, it, there's sometimes like you know this still human interaction, despite it. Uh, I guess kind of like the contemporary equivalent to that is mostly, um, uh, you know, prison, which isn't anything close to that. Uh, but during war, you know, nobody wants to be there. Uh, nobody wants to take like really part in like straight up war. So it it, it makes sense. It's it's an it's a plausible thing in my mind uh, to have them interact like that. So I did like I did like that. I felt it was very authentic. There's some sellers in Yunoi. Um, I I almost feel like that was like like moving um like things forward. Like like Sellers kind of felt like it didn't feel like he had much opportunity for character growth uh in terms of he kinda reflects on in the flashback on how um you know how, how he basically threw his brother under the bus essentially. Um but he's kinda like he he feels like he's miserable. He's defiant, and he almost feels like he doesn't really have. He he doesn't really have like any self preservation in mind. Almost like he doesn't really care about the consequences, and that almost feels like a constant from the start of the movie, uh, all the way to the end. But also, he doesn't like authority. So it's kind of like this weird thing of. Like, I don't care what happens to me. Like, when he smuggles in food, he says, like, oh, I'll take responsibility for that. You know, when he goes and kisses Yunoi to uh, save Hixley um, from being executed, like, at the end of the movie, he doesn't really, like, care about what will happen to him. So he has this kind of self-destructive side to it. But he also has this, like, not spiteful, but kind of, like, he doesn't like oppressors. So that's why he kind of he, he doesn't accept the ruling at the start in his trial that he should be executed. Uh, it's why he kind of spites his captors all the time as well. A broken man who refuses to be broken. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's kind of like that. Like like it, it feels like I don't care about myself, but I'm not gonna give you the satisfaction of like doing something to me. Um, it is it's. it's... Funny you mention that also because uh, going back to the flashback, he actually does mention uh, fairly quickly though, uh, as he's starting it, is that he doesn't really have any sort of good experience with human relationships or anything like that. He's only really known how to betray, which says a lot to who he is in sort of his ego in general. Yeah, or but, lack but, thereof, really. But 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 it is kind of interesting where when he escapes his um, his cell. He still goes to save Lawrence when he's uh, giving everybody food and the flowers. He's not doing that, you know. He, he in one part he's doing that because you know people shouldn't be hungry, and in the other part he's doing that because the person who died, the Dutch soldier, like deserves some form of like memorial, and you know he gets nothing from that. Like he's not doing that to be particularly popular. Uh, so he does have. So, so 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 he had he he. I think he understands, like, in at least in the camp, maybe not before, like, he was um, in prison, but he kind of, like, understands, like, yeah, like, like people can suffer and they shouldn't suffer. But he did say that he, like, he went to war, like, the, the war was the first time he kind of what, felt alive or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and then Lawrence asked him, oh, why didn't you just sign up for the French Foreign Legion? And he was something like, like, oh, that's not the same. 
Uh, so I think it's more like, yeah, the chaos of the war uh, erupted and kind of put the life to a standstill. Uh, and that kind of gave him the excuse to like embrace it. Whereas if he was in the French Foreign Legion, he would kind of just go wherever there's conflict all the time rather than like this global chaos that happened. Yeah, he even mentioned that he was like sort of just floating along as a success, a relatively successful lawyer. But he was so yeah. estranged from his brother at that point, and he felt bad for just missing out on so much of his life. But but you kind of feel like he's on this like trajectory of self destruction, complete self destruction. Yeah, and there's never really anything in the movie that like diverts him from that trajectory. Like he he's he's basically going headfirst into uh, danger, but he's trying to stay alive while doing it, like for as long as possible, I guess, like by some other actions. So in that part, I think like he's interesting as like a driving force, but it's kind of a shame that he doesn't really like get on like on on his head. He doesn't get any closure. He doesn't get any like character development. I, I don't think he ever because he like the main thing that burdens him is you know his relationship with his brother, and he kind of gets this uh, as he dies like this dying memory where he like in that memory gets closure with his brother, like, which he would want to have, like, if he came back from the war. Uh, but he never actually actually gets that. Yeah, it, it seemed to hang over him like some sort of specter. Yeah. Much of it. and But what I meant by the, the lack of human relationships and, like, only knowing betrayal is it felt like he said that sort of to emphasize his really, his lack of attachment to anything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I Especially I, after uh, Lawrence had just gone on this this... Uh, a mentioning his wife, and yeah, just going on the speech about the woman who was at the the hotel in Singapore. Yeah, um, and yeah, in terms of like Captain Yanoi, again, I think he finally falls in like like the similar category to Lawrence, where he's also on this self destruction like trajectory, or rather like mutually assured destruction with Celliers. Um So. Like, he at least gets some closure, but it's very shitty closure, because yeah. a bunch of innocent people died, and Sailors dies, and then he's like, oh, I finally made peace with my emotions. And it's like, yeah, but kind of feels shit, considering, you know, how much you fucked up in the process. Like, he loses his, uh, he loses his status, he loses, you know, somebody he actually fell in love with, uh, he costs a lot of people their lives, uh, it kind of just becomes a massive mess, so it doesn't really... really it is eventually put to the block. Yeah. So. So, so, so that's why I think, like, Lawrence and Hara are the more interesting ones, because by observing this, like, trajectory of chaos and destruction, they grow from that, like, to some extent, I feel. And from their interaction with each other, they kind of grow. But you never really see Yonoian sailors be allowed to reach that point, and that's kind of like the tragic part of all of this. That, like, they don't get anything out of this. They, they get the shittiest deal, both of them. Uh, actually, funny enough, I feel worth mentioning that the 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 Dutch soldier and the Japanese soldier scene at the very beginning sort of highlights the central, almost conflict of the film, uh, in itself. Uh, because it's not just that they're taken and beaten to shit. It's they get talked out of it. Well, not they get talked out of it. The soldiers get talked out of it. The Japanese soldiers get talked out of uh, fucking over the Dutch guy. And also, the, the Japanese guy is still meant to commit suicide. 
but they ha- have a bigger showing of it when they do. Uh, uh, also, I do want to point out one. Uh, just it, it, it's a little nitpick. Uh, he's technically Korean. Oh, te- Korean. Excuse me. Yes, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, but well, yes. Go ahead. Uh, it, it's it's. Uh, and for the longest time, the Dutch soldiers claiming, no, I feel nothing towards him. There's nothing between us. Nothing like that. In uh, during the scene where the, the Korean uh, soldier is actually committing ritual suicide, the Dutch soldier jumps out and starts screaming and crying and losing his mind over what's happening. Uh, yeah, and he bites his tongue and uh, kills himself that way. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. That is kind of meant there to highlight essentially very quote-unquote subtly what's going to happen in the rest of the movie in terms of like uh, Cellars and Yanoi. Yeah. yeah that, that's all, man. Alright. Uh, Axe. Um, so, I mean, setting, I mean, it's set during World War II, it's a war film, uh, and it has, it. it's, it's very powerful. You know, I I have have my my couple hangups, but we know why I have those hangups. And um, the the setting is really impactful for every everything that happens. It's 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 all very it's all very claustrophobic, despite them being in basically a village. Like they they have lots of open space to do things, but they can't unless they're being you know herded around to do specific stuff. So. Is this weird sense of claustrophobia throughout the film, which kind of, which I feel kind of actually helps with the relationships in terms of uh, Hara and Lawrence, who who are easily the most interesting part uh, of the film, and I think that it's obviously done that way for a reason. You know, Lawrence, Lawrence and Hara are sort of you know, like 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 Torpid said, they're the, they're the the third party watching this this cascade of chaos happening around them and it it directs their lives in different ways uh horror is specifically um sort of coming to terms not being able to come to terms with who what he did but really just coming to terms with his own mortality um and then and lawrence just trying to come to terms with the senselessness of everything and have and not being able to even with you know it that was the other thing that that struck me too is every everywhere lawrence went there's nothing but senselessness and he was trying so desperately hard to hold himself together in the middle of of all of it including the end uh when hara is being put to death for the things that he did and in hara's mind it doesn't make any sense so even even in the final moments, Lawrence is faced with the senselessness of war, and it's a really great bit of subtext to to the overall story. Um, and then it's interesting, it's interesting how they kept uh, Saliers and Yanoi distanced from each other, um, sort of playing into that whole thing of what the what, what Yanoi was feeling. It wasn't. It wasn't um, uh, returned, uh, but Yanoi was feeling this forbidden sense, this longing for for Celiers, and that distance between them throughout the movie, where we barely get to to spend that time with them, like we do with Lawrence and Hara. You know, it 
directly affects their dynamic and is played out specifically in how uh, how much time each of them has with one another. It's also interesting, uh, Torpid mentioned the uh, the focus on Bowie's eyes. And in, in a lot of the scenes where we had both uh, Bowie and uh, Ricci, uh, Ryuichi. 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 Yinoi. Yinoi is the, the yeah. Yinoi. Uh, in those scenes where we had both of them together, there's lots of close-ups of both of their faces whenever it, ha- it was trying to deal with one or the other. So... Uh, also, really quick. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention. Uh, it also looks like Yinoi, uh, Ryuichi, uh, had, had uh, makeup that seemed to emphasize his eyes as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it's just it's very interesting that they chose those camera angles to very much focus on Bowie. Bowie, whenever he was in scene, it was very much focused on his face. But with uh, with Ryuichi, it didn't do that unless Bowie was also in that scene. And then they put a lot of emphasis on his face as well. And it felt like they were, you know, trying to sort of... um, you know the 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 symbolism behind that, just like the way that the two of them are connected, despite them not truly knowing that they are connected, um, or just basically you know symbolizing you know, Yanoi's gaze on on Lawrence or not Lawrence, uh, Silius. Yeah, but, I, I think it's more of the, of the latter personally, but I I also think it's like you can kind of see whenever there's a close up of. Uh, you know his eyes. You kind of also see him kind of lose his composure because whenever Sellers is not there, he's this like authority figure, yeah. and, like highly strong and everything. But uh, like even though he doesn't, you know, he he doesn't like lose that comp- like uh, bodily composure. Like when when Sellers is there, but you can see it in his eyes that like he loses his composure. And there's a bit a bit of uh, you can notice it a bit in his 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 body language, just kind of like. He's a little more relaxed around him, um, and it definitely he's just like he's not as in control of any situation when Sellers is around. Um, a good example is the the flower scene when he's just eating the flower in front of him, and you just see in his eyes like he can't handle this. This is too much. You know, his his systems are overloading. But their 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 relationship and their characters weren't meant to be. Uh, I don't feel like they were meant to be the highlight. They were meant to be more uh, auxiliary. Yeah, auxiliary is a good word. Auxiliary, you know, they they're there to kind of drive the madness, and you know, bringing. He's almost kind of like uh, Jack Nicholson's character from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, which I believe came out later. Uh, I think one flew over the cookie snows. I believe that was sixties or seventy. Then I will take a look. But um, just that's the that's what the uh, the impression I I got off of him was uh, very similar to that character. His his arrival signaled a drastic change in his environment, and that's what Bowie's characters is. Is he's just there as sort of this 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 driving force um and lawrence and hara are there to witness these things uh lawrence in specific 
uh, to witness them and record them, to remember them. Uh, since uh, of all the people in this film, he's the one who gets out with probably the best, best ending. Um, whereas he's everybody... He's the survivor. Yeah, he's, he's the survivor, basically. So, I mean, you know, it's... It, what more can I can I really say that hasn't already been said about these characters? Is it it is a good film, and I think I'll, I'll just kind of cut myself off there. Yeah, uh, there's two things that I wanted to uh, point out from what you said. Uh, one I did check. Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest was the film was from 1975. Um, the you were mentioning the claustrophobia because it seemed like they had all that space that they didn't use much. Uh, that was also something that David Bowie mentioned or noted that when he started to work on the film uh, and he realized that that was actually the reason why they were all clustered together was actually one that um, uh, the director was intentionally using. And he realized that and he also thought that it was a good touch. Um, but yeah, um, I basically any thoughts I would have are basically just repeating pretty much what everyone said. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy the, well, the, the setting is really powerful. Like, it is a really good um, rendition of a, P, a Japanese POW camp. Uh, and the characters are very interesting in this. Um, it does seem like, yeah, there are basically four main characters, but there are, um, the, those four are actually very good. Um, I really like their characterization. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I think we've kind of gone on, uh, we've kind of brought this up a little bit, um, but Axe, how do you feel about this being a joint Japanese Western produced movie? I mean, I, I it's good. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, it, I think it works. Uh, it works because, uh, it, I'm not sure how to really answer this question to be quite honest. Um, I know what I want to say, and it was mentioned, uh, before, um, how uh, it 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 being uh being a I think it was produced or was it directed by a a, a Japanese person Japanese director. director yep Japanese director and there there's a lot of influence in it in terms of trying to portray things not as not as not as biased like it's it 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 feels like there's a good balance because. It's from two different sides of it, um, and 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 I think I think that I think having having it be a joint production uh, really helped keep it keep it in in more of a uh, a grounded and fair uh, fair production, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does, and yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, uh, Bear. Yeah, I um, uh, I think like it could only have been made as a joint venture, to be honest, because um, I don't. It's very problematic when you're dealing with um, um, World War Two movies, um, because it's you know this is like what uh eighty three, yeah. 83. So that's like that's still not like super long after uh World War Two, uh. There's still a lot of World War II movies being made. I mean, they, I don't know if they ever really stopped making them, probably, like, at the turn of the century. But uh, 
like with World War II movies, it's very easy to fall into a trap of um uh like like turning it into propaganda, like regardless of the topic. One side. Yeah, or demonizing one side, especially because it is very problematic depicting um uh any like side is sympathetic. Like it's very difficult to uh you know, like for example, like moving into the West, it's very hard to depict German soldiers from World War II as you know, uh, you know, people just like quote unquote doing their jobs or whatever, like like regular folks who are, were wrapped up in the war. Uh, it's it's very difficult to do that. Uh, I think if this was like an American and Japanese joint venture, uh, it it would probably like get gone it like more far into one direction. Um, uh, and also, like like post World War II, Japan was very uh, influenced by you know this uh, national shame of World War II, uh, this like national failure, and a very like big influence from America and American culture. Um, so I, I I think approaching it this uh, setting and these kind of characters. Uh, uh, was was only really possible in like like a joint venture like like I, I think having it be Japanese and uh, UK was probably a good choice like I, I definitely think the director like even if this was like fully produced somewhere else like outside of Japan definitely like like you would want the director to be Japanese uh, and someone familiar um, you know with with the culture with the culture with the national consciousness so to say the national attitude um and it's, it's a much better movie for us okay uh turbo uh yeah so i agree 100 <laughs> uh, percent. another thing i might say i mentioned it earlier but like i also feel like this being a, a joint uh british japanese adventure but also being based off of a book by someone who was in one of these pow camps sort of lends it a certain degree of legitimacy to the uh sort of commentary and complaints it leverages uh, against both the Japanese and the British in this case. Because it definitely does bring up problems not with just one, but with both. Uh, like, with the... the uh, uh, we, we've gone into the Japanese side, but, like, a few of the complaints it leverages with the, uh, the British are, like, the, the captain asking the world and being huge on empty gestures. Uh... The, their views on homosexuality, because, uh, like, they even pointed out, like, even Lawrence was getting uh, uncomfortable in discussing it and even saying, like, that's just wrong, that's bad. Whereas Haru was going, like, between samurai, that's perfectly fine. Uh, in, in, like, even the Dutch soldier denying it until the end when he finally lost it and bit his tongue because the Korean soldier was put to death. And also, once again, the, the Brits uh, just putting these people to the block who, without even them understanding what they did wrong or what it was. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it ends a certain era of legitimacy and makes it uh, more meaningful as a whole. Uh, on top of it, it makes, like, the the complaints leveraged against the Japanese side feel a lot more impactful, knowing that the director is themselves Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, like, at, at the end, um, when, when, you know, like, it's, it's been said that the, the Japanese... Like uh, higher rank, higher ranking officers uh, were put to trial, and you know Howard is being put to trial. You can kind of feel from Lawrence, like it, it's not just I think about like 
oh yeah, these people don't know what they did wrong and they're being put to trial for just, you know, living how they were taught to live. But I think it's also just in general a kind of commentary on post-World War II, uh, like these trials and executions, how it was essentially a lot of them were... Um, like I, I don't think like matter of fact is the way to phrase it, but they were basically kind of like, yeah, we need to execute a lot of people to maintain uh, order, to maintain order essentially. Because like even like like post, uh, I brought up earlier, but like like when I mentioned the trials, um, uh, for Japanese soldiers like post World War Two, um, a lot of those uh, uh military officials that got executed and trialed, uh, a lot of them were did so. Uh, to also protect the Japanese emperor, because the Japanese emperor never really answered for anything. Uh, and there was this one time, I can't remember the name of the, the, the Japanese general, uh, but the infamous one, where he did mention the emperor, and they had to take him aside and tell him, no, you, you can't mention the emperor, you have to take full responsibility for this. And he came back and took full responsibility for everything. So it's kind of like also, I think, kind of like maybe a subtle commentary on yeah, like post-World War II cleanup trials, how they were basically like, yep, a ton of people have died and were executed, and maybe not all of them should have been, you know, executed like that. Yeah. I, I know which one you're talking about. If I see the name, I... Tojo. Tojo, yes, that's the one. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I fully agree. Like, I, the fact that it is a Japanese developer, like, directed... Um, movie with some Western or British assistance uh, does make this movie a lot better. Uh, I feel like that mix really lended it some. Uh, it it really helped the movie. So I I do feel like if it were, um, well, especially it, it helped that I think for most part the the like the people involved in the story were mostly British and Japanese. Uh, I do feel like if you got any other nationality involved, it would be a little weird. Uh, even though the book were partially South African, um, but nonetheless. Yeah, I do feel like that being, it being a Japanese Western produced movie really did help it. Um, and I think we'll just kind of go on to our last one because we kind of talked about the performances uh, throughout the movie. Um, but uh, so, Torbo, how do you feel about the general themes of this movie? Um, and I think we've, uh, already ta- we've already talked about had a good amount so yeah i, I, I don't know can... what else to add but if anyone else does go ahead yeah i think we could probably just add kind of i mean go unless, on unless add. bear racks have something to say yeah um i like how it's a movie about uh pride in terms of uh gay pride but also uh you know like more national ego driven pride at the same time so that's a double whammy and it's also a movie about um uh, burying the gay thoughts, but also burying people as well near the end, uh, when they bury uh, sellers. So, <laughs> yeah, very, very, very thematically sound, very uh, interconnected. But no, I, 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 I'm basically saying, like, yeah, we, I already went over, I think, almost everything I wanted to, so I'm good. All right, X. I mean, yeah, no, I'm, we've covered pretty much everything I can't think of. I mean, there's, there's, the themes of nationalism, the themes of you know, homosexuality, you know, dealing with, you know, latent homosexual urges. Um, there's symbolism, subtlety, subtext. There's lots of, lots of stuff in this movie. It's a very layered film. And, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I feel like we've kind of 
gone over the themes, but yeah, it does. The themes of this are very uh, impactful, I guess, would be one way to describe it. Um, so yeah, I think we've kind of gone over uh, an, uh, a good amount of this movie. Um, so I think we can actually get to ranking it. So uh, we are going to rank this using our normal 1 to 21 scale. Um, we, if you're not, if this is your first time listening, uh, basically we have a 1 to 21 scale with 1 being absolute genre mastercraft. Uh, like it can, it's very hard for it to get any better than what it already is. Uh, and 21 uh, is basically, it's not even ironically fun to watch, like, or, like interesting to watch. It is just a slog and just bad in general. Um, so, uh, Axe, uh, what would be your number ranking for this? Uh, well, I tried to load up the list and it wouldn't load for me. Um, but, uh, there we go. Um, well, let's see here. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm gonna say six. Six. Okay. Uh, bear. It's very like difficult. For, I I haven't been in too many of these. It's very difficult for me to say something like, uh, you know, like four or five because then I'd be like, yeah, I do think the the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie really did deliver more than. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lawrence. Oh, just from as as a Bowie as a Bowie performance, how would you say it compares to Labyrinth? I torpid. I was plastered half a Labyrinth. <laughs> I would have to rewatch that if I. Uh, but no, um, you know, I don't think this is like something like a monumental movie. I've only like really heard about this movie like a few years ago from Lolo. Um, so I didn't know much about it. I don't think it's like, um, like something that's like culturally and I wouldn't say relevant, like culturally monumental is a phrase I'd look for, like diehard aliens. Um, but I think it's a very uh, uh, good movie, despite some uh, like like uh, weird pacing. But I think it, it takes advantage of the pacing. So I'd say something like five, probably. Okay, uh, Torpo. Wow, I'm I'm on the high end for once, huh? Uh, I was going to say, like, maybe three or four, personally. Okay. Yeah. Because I do think it's an absolutely fantastic film, but I wouldn't consider it the absolute pinnacle. But also, I think it's abs- I think it's really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it just uh, has some failings here and there that just keep it from being, my opinion. Yeah. Um. So if you kind of do the division between, like, the different colors of the rainbow, uh, where, like, you have one through three being, like, you know, Violet, Indigo, and all that. Um, kind of, we placed it right in the middle of the Indigo, like four, four, five, and six, which is kind of, in general, is the well above average uh, area. Which I feel uh, that is kind of where I'd put it. Like, I think if I were to just give it a number myself, I would probably uh, say four or five. Um, I I do feel like um, it might be good to kind of just because I'm just. Just trying to think of just because from what I've seen of that, uh, I could either see I, I kind of think that because um, let me let me read the descriptions of four or four versus five, uh, four which was basically is labeled as absolute or almost mastercraft, a uh, high quality but fa- falls just short of being considered a masterpiece, where five is it's just really good, probably has some small flaws or things that haven't aged well though. Um, 
I, I wouldn't say like the movie has like major flaws in terms of like oh they could have done this better. I think it's just the um, like like yeah they, it has pacing issues, but it, that's in terms of like a lot of like in my mind like modern viewing. I I do think that the pacing does help the the oppressive tone of it a lot, and I think that for the story they were going, especially because it's based on a novel. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't have like the same, um, I would say, same dynamic you would expect from like something that's just directly a movie or something that's like more action oriented, like how Die Hard is based in like a crime novel. Yeah. Um. So. Hmm. So yeah, I'm thinking like basically just splitting the middle of all of our votes, uh, and just kind of going five or technically four or five. Uh, if we did a raw average, um, or raw median, I should say. Excuse me, raw mean. If I. Uh, oh my God! Raw, choose your M word. Yeah. Um, raw middle. Yeah, raw middle. Let's go with that. Raw dog. Um. Uh. Yeah, because it's just a comparison of the East OVA versus GameStar CX season one. That is literally an impossible comparison with this. Mm-hmm. Because neither one of them it really fits. Merry Christmas, Arena. Yeah. I mean, Game Center CX, but this Alex kid, so I'd put this above it. <laughs> that, that's that's going to push me to the edge. That's, I can just say four and make it easier. Um, okay. Then I guess at that point we can, we can do four. Uh, let's see. Okay, four. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. I'm glad I managed to base even this list on Alex Kidd's ranking. Yep. And this is episode 32. Uh, came out in 1983. Uh, director is uh, Nagisa Oshi... Oshina? Do-do-do. Pace values. Um, this was a theatrical release. Uh, this was a drama. More drama. Boy, howdy, was it? Uh, I would say that the tone of this is sad. Oh, fucking tragic. Sad, war sad. Um. War is hell. I don't know if there's really anything to put in content. Dudes. Come on. Lou starts with a fucking seppuku attempt. Okay. Like, okay. fucking yeah. shit. Yeah, it is. It's it rated R. It's officially rated R. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just because it's not like oh okay. I will give it the gore because there's a lot of seeing like these scars on people and and dudes cutting themselves like yeah being tortured and stuff. Yeah, there's some it, genuinely hard to watch scenes. It, yeah, the, the thing and that's actually one thing that I do kind of like about it is that it is it gets the impact of like the seppuku and like the like killings uh without being like gory which i feel is actually kind of refreshing yes but also they're still genuinely uncomfortable to watch yeah like 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 lolo we're, we're talking about a movie where an entire high school or university or whatever bullying a single child for having actually, a home yeah. is less is less heavy than most of the other heavy scenes. Yeah, actually, that's a good point because I have this, so this gets an A. 
something agey because I'm just looking at my the things that I have. Um, oh yeah, I just remember what the star for Running Man is, and I got to think of that. Um, that's for a different day. Um, so, uh, is there anything do we want to call it for music, charm, cinematography, uh, storytelling slash drama, uh, action, and art? Uh, I would music. say, yeah, music. I'd also say cinematography. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and storytelling slash drama. Yeah, I can give that. Well, we were kind of divided on that because I do agree. Like the the pacing is a bit weird, even if the actual story is, you know, yeah. well, the pacing good. gets is there's a something else we'll bring up for pacing. Um, yeah, I think that's probably good because definitely not action. Uh, and I feel like charm is not something that. No, no. Yeah, no. I don't think I would not call charm something that would bring up. Let's see, yay or nay? Uh, we did talk about pacing which is the one that's specifically it snail pacing? snail and then ruler yeah i think it's snail well it's hmm. a long film it, yeah I, yeah it snail and ruler yes yeah, it is it ruler. is a very long film yeah <laughs> if if red october got the ruler this is getting the ruler too yeah what is oh, this yeah. like two hours and change yeah it, yeah it's like two hours it's one it's two hours and three minutes how much yeah was what was uh red october I think that was two and a half. Yeah, I think that was like October because I just want to, like, I not not to like dis like prove anything. I'm I'm just curious because uh, that was IMDb is saying that that was um 135 minutes, which is yeah like 10 minutes longer. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. Well, so so the next thing you need to do is. You need to play those bootleg Bible video games, and then we need to watch King of Kings for media Delta because that's like two hours and fifty minutes. I mean, I mean, if we could, we do. Um, there's got to be a game based off of like Moses. Well, this like, is Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, there's, there's. I was gonna say because there's the Bible Adventures game. We could do the Ten Commandments, which is like there five hours long. Yeah, <laughs> or, no. or or we could do any Romance of the Three Kingdoms game. We could do the full cut of Red Cliff. Oh, um, which I have on Blu-ray. So for yay, do can you add a sparkle emo emoji for uh, David Bowie? Um, I I, I can. Mean, I mean, come on, that's actually that's, first story. Should it be a thumbs up or should it be good characters? Uh, yeah, actually, that's a good point. Uh, good characters. Yeah, it should be good characters. Um, is there just a? If you have a David Bowie emoji, that can also work. There yeah. is no David Bowie, but I can do a star. Okay, star yeah. man. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there we go. There's Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. As they say, are probably most nebulously uh, connected to the video games movie that we will do uh, up until next month in which we do Chariots of Fire. You're gonna, after this, this you're going to put some ice on your, on your shoulder. Also, part of me was hoping for the longest time that would just be me and Lolo on Chariots of Fire. Because for a long time, it was only the two of us signed up. Well, it was the same way with this. It was, it was just you and you and Lolo. And I signed up because I was like, ah, that, that, that'll yep. be over very quick. Yeah. So I'll, on you. I'll be back for the next World War II thing, so don't you worry. Oh, right, yes. Um, don't forget that's got this... to gotta come up. That, though. Gotta put the star on Labyrinth then too. Oh right, I suppose. Yeah, I, can't I suppose. Can't play uh, favorites. 
No, no, we have the eggplant for Labyrinth. <laughs> 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 there, the star eggplant. Star eggplant. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. I, I asked the question, Lolo, because you reached so fucking hard to get this on here. You know, at some point, just calling it, <laughs> calling shot in the future, we're just going to do whatever the hell we want at some point. Yeah, I mean, at least we've actually done a game related to next week's. Yeah, we have. Which, I'm uh, the one who requested it. Yeah, uh, which actually, speaking of, before we talk about that, uh, now that we have kind of exhausted Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, X, Merry is there, Christmas. Is there anything you want to plug? Just my stream, twitch.tv slash axeimmortal. Okay, uh, Bear. Twitch.tv slash bear. Okay, Torpo. Twitch.tv slash typist and at typist on Twitter, and I don't feel comfortable making a joke about this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Next week, uh, we have a very, a very different, still a somewhat deeper movie than the kind of thing that we've been doing, which actually, now that I think about it, that was another reason why I wanted to do this movie. So we've been looking at a bunch of bullshit recently. <laughs> um, Are you so saying I'm, that the running man isn't deep? So I wanted to, to get a little bit of a, uh, palate cleanser. Um, How do y'all feel about transhumanism? Yeah. Cause next week we're talking about ghost in the shell. Um, which is much more action-based, um, but also still uh, pretty it, deeper than most action movies because it's a Oshi film. So, you know what? Still not as navel-gazy as the sequel is. Yeah, also some oh. of the Pat Labor movies. <laughs> Let me tell you about fucking Bato waxing philosophical for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, okay, so with that, uh, that will do it for this episode. So thank you all for listening. Goodbye. Bye. If you would like to look at the full list of rankings for yourself, please visit r3.ldp.life and go to the Media Delta List tab. If you would like to watch Media Delta's sister show, Retro Rank Rhapsody, you can either watch at youtube.ldp.life or by tuning into twitch.tv slash lodapuzzlo at 7.30pm on Fridays, 2.30pm on Saturdays, and 1pm on Sundays. All those times are from the Eastern U.S. time zone. If you would like to discuss this episode with the community, you can do so by joining our Discord server, which you can do so by go going to discord.ldp.life. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you tune in for our next episode.